Vivica Widow's Knock Knock, episode 19, narrated by Leo St. Paul. Trial Day 8 They had covered the Freefall Massacre extensively. Ronnie argued that Tabitha had been there purely as a guest. He even presented an invitation as evidence. The time came to return to the issue of Tabitha's parents and the video of the murder of Melanie Wallace that I'd risked my life to obtain. The prosecutor took the lead. On a large screen at the front of the hall, a screen grab of the murder of Melian and Wallace was shown. She was on her knees, Tabitha holding her and Marcus ready to deliver the killing blow. Dennis stood idly by, unable to do anything to stop her, lest he join her. Melanie Wallace was a clerk of the court. She had been instructed to deliver a note of intent to the Knock Knock Club and its supporters. Apparently Tabitha had taken it personally, sent her back to Cyclops in a fucking box, she had said at the time. Tabitha declared herself to be fighting the good fight on behalf of the good side of the shady city. I wasn't sure there was such a thing as the good side. City Prosecutor Please excuse the delay, ma'am, but my next witness wasn't present in court. I am to understand he's arrived now. Judge Doyle looked to the back of the room where the doors were being opened to allow a new arrival. City Prosecutor The prosecution calls Dennis Platt to the stand. Dennis looked weary in morose clothing with bloodshot eyes. Without his signature hat, he seemed smaller, thinner. He gave a fleeting glance to Tabitha, who scowled back at him. As the trial pressed on, she was beginning to lose her composure more often. She was worried. Dennis took the witness bench. City prosecutor. Can you state your position with the knock-knock club for the court? Dennis Platt. I was acting manager. City prosecutor. Did you try to stop the murder of Miss Wallace? Dennis was shaking his head. Dennis Platt. Not as much as I should have. I did warn her, but she wouldn't listen. The prosecutor stroked his chin. He turned and observed the expressions of his jury. City prosecutor, how did you come to meet the defendant? Dennis Platt. I was organising some importing exporting at the time through Chamberlain Docks. One night I was coming home from a late delivery and I saw her. She was young, alone and in a dangerous area. I took her to my ex-wife, who is a social worker, for some help. I had heard testimonies like it so many times over the years as a reporter. Dennis' response was fixed, detailed enough to avoid further question, but limited to the point of not really telling anyone anything. It was very rehearsed. City prosecutor, what was she doing there at such a late hour? The prosecutor asked this as though that was the issue with the statement. Dennis Platt, she told me she was looking for her aunt. She was trying to get the ferry to Halffield Bay. Dennis kept his focus ahead, without looking at anyone in particular. City Prosecutor Just to be clear, her aunt being Tony McKinney, the Baroness of the Knock Knock Club, correct? Dennis Platt Yes, that's correct. He nodded in agreement. This time the Prosecutor looked for the expressions of the gathering. City Prosecutor Did she mention her parents? Dennis Platt Not at first. She wouldn't tell Olivia why she had left home. All she would say was that she wanted to find her aunt. The prosecutor interrupted him, turning to the jury and addressing them directly. City prosecutor, Did the jury please note that the aunt referred to as the elder sister of victim Rob McKinney and sister-in-law to victim Linda McKinney? Returning to Dennis and urged him to continue. Please, carry on. Dennis Platt, She stayed with us for a while. Olivia tried to get her some help, but she wouldn't let her call child services. The prosecutor leaned on the witness bench and observed Dennis closely. 
said the prosecutor. She eventually admitted to you that she had murdered her parents and her nanny, correct? Ronnie Owen. Objection, ma'am. The prosecution is leading this witness. Judge Doyle. Overruled, said she, but she continued. I do ask the prosecution to choose their wording more carefully. The prosecutor stood straight. His spine like an iron rod, said the prosecutor. I do apologise, ma'am. He returned his focus to Dennis. So what did she tell you about the night her parents died? Dennis Platt. She gave me every detail, said the prosecutor. She admitted to murdering them and the nanny, Dennis Platt, in cold blood. Dennis went on to explain the event as he had told it to me. When he had finished, the city prosecutor gave a satisfied grin. City prosecutor, no further questions. Tabitha whispered something to Ronnie. She was frowning severely. The lawyer remained focused. He stood with a clear of his throat and took his turn to address Dennis. Ronnie Owen. Mr. Plack, can you please tell the court how you came to be the manager of the Knock Knock Club, leaving a wife and young child behind? said the prosecutor. Objection, ma'am, he barked. Irrelevant to this case. Ronnie Owen. It is very relevant, ma'am. If the jury are to take Mr. Platt at his word, they need to understand his connection to the defendant. Judge Doyle. Overruled. The witness will answer the question. Dennis Platt. She was desperate to reopen the club. She threatened my wife and child if I didn't help her. Ronnie Owen, find it difficult to believe that a young girl could hold you under duress and for so long just by a threat. Dennis seemed to gather from a well of strength. He growled and snapped back at the lawyer, Dennis Platt. Then you ought to ask your brother what she's capable of, Jerry, isn't it? Ronnie ignored the statement. He had his angle for removing any legitimacy in Dennis's statement and wouldn't be detracted from pulling on that thread. Ronnie Owen, isn't it true that you weren't a noble rescuer but simply took a shine to a young girl you found on the docks? What way was she dressed that night? Looking promiscuous, was she? Did taking her home seem like the sensible thing to do? Dennis Platt. I told you, Liv was a social worker. She had experience with little girls in trouble. Ronnie had his bite. It was time to start reeling in the rod. Ronnie Owen. Little girls. Troubled girls. You had experience in that too, didn't you? City Prosecutor. Objection. Counselor is badgering the witness. He's not the one in trial here, ma'am. Judge Doyle. Sustain. Do get to your point, Counselor. Ronnie shrugged. Ronnie Owen. Apologies, ma'am. Returning to the witness. Is it true that the only reason the defendant was able to coerce you into staying at the Not Not Club was because you attempted to assault her and she threatened to tell your wife? Dennis was becoming irate. Dennis Platt. She needs to be locked away. Ronnie still stayed calm. Dennis didn't have anything to lose at this point, but Tabitha did. Her best chance rested on a statement from a man who hated her, pulled forward from a man who shared the name of those who had put her there in the first place. Ronnie Owen, is it true that your business, the business at the docks, was bringing girls into prostitution? Dennis immediately denied. He may not have anything left to lose, but it would take a long time for the virus coursing in his blood to destroy the survival instinct. Ronnie Owen, I can name some of your clients. Dennis' eyes widened. He was deciding whether or not Ronnie would throw his own brother Jerry under a bus in order to win his case. He had his dealings with Jerry in purchasing of girls, foreign girls looking for a new life in the city, young girls, underage girls for particular parties with particular tastes, boys too. Ronnie wouldn't want that kind of dirty laundry aired in court, surely. The cap he had fought hard to make sure that kind of knowledge of his brother didn't come to public. Now that he had Dennis pulling back in fear, Ronnie ended his questioning before the city prosecutor could raise any more objections. 
Ronnie Owen, no further questions. It seemed Ronnie wouldn't bring it up. It was unlikely Judge Doyle would let it stand anyway, but the expression on Dennis's face was enough to plant doubt in the jurors. The women on the jury, carefully selected by Ronnie, were glaring at Dennis. Ronnie went on to detail Dennis' attempted assault on Tabitha and how she overthrew him. It was now time to play another hand in the hopes of swaying more into Tabitha's side. Ronnie Owen, if the court will indulge me, I call Chloe Grover to the stand. Led by a surprisingly gentle bailiff, the 19-year-old girl, Chloe, took to the stand. Her head was bowed and her shoulders hunched. Ronnie Owen. Good morning, ma'am. We're going to discuss some things that may be a little difficult for you to talk about, but we'll keep it as brief as possible. Is that okay? Chloe Grover. You can call me Chloe. That's my name. She smiled at Ronnie, but bowed her head again when she noticed the jury were watching her. Ronnie Owen. What is your relationship with Dennis? Chloe looked up as though she didn't understand the question, so the lawyer rephrased. Ronnie Owen. How do you know Dennis? Chloe Grover. I love him. I love him so much. Is he okay? Ronnie Owen. He's fine, but I need you to tell the jury what he made you do. Ronnie spoke softly. Chloe responded well to him. Chloe Grover. You mean the friends he sent to my room? Ronnie Owen. Exactly. What did those friends want from you? Chloe looked a little confused. She was a soft-hearted, simple-minded girl. Chloe Grover. I had to give them special cuddles. Dennis needed money and I wanted to make him happy. Ronnie Owen. Did you make any money from the friends? Chloe Grover. I didn't need money. Dennis took care of me. Ronnie Owen. How many of those friends came to your room? Chloe shrugged like a small child being chastised by a teacher. Chloe Grover. I don't know. The, the man with the ponytail and glasses said it was 500, but that's a really big number. City Prosecutor. Objection, ma'am. Dennis Platt is not the one on trial here. Ronnie Owen. It is relevant to the case here. I need the jury to fully understand the circumstances in which he met the defendant and his actions that brought them both to the knock-knock club. Judge Doyle. Overruled. I urge you to keep your questioning relevant, though, Counselor. A recess was called to allow the jury to catch their breath. Day was far from over. With Tabitha's words still ringing in my ears, I went in search of Olivia. Word had it that she was at CPD working closely with them on some youth projects. I got a confused look from the receptionist when I asked for Olivia Platt. It seems she no longer used her married name, and I didn't know what her maiden one was. Do you mean Liv Hicks, the social worker lady? she asked. I smiled. That's right. I didn't want to seem like Olivia and I had never met. Visiting the social worker to check on Chloe gave me some cover should the lawmakers question why I was at CPD. On instructions of Hicks, I was directed to the second floor at the end of a long, narrow corridor where Fulton Construction were adding renovations. It was well lit and inviting. It left the feel of a police station behind. I knocked on the door. Olivia's soft voice invited me in. She sounded calm and composed. When I opened the door, I found Hicks was there too. He greeted me with a smile. Sorry to interrupt, I said. I was hoping to have a quick word with Olivia. Olivia was the handsome, polite woman Dennis had described. You're all right, Sam, Hicks confirmed, easing Olivia's suspicions of me. He turned to Olivia. This is the reporter I was telling you about. Olivia still said nothing. Hicks laid a hand on her shoulder. It's been through a lot. I've heard some of what you've had to deal with, Sam. Olivia spoke up. So sorry about your wife. I hear you haven't had it easy either, 
Dennis told me. Olivia's eyes widened at the mention of her ex-husband, so I changed my angle. How's your son, Milo? Is he doing okay? Olivia eased off. He's fine, thank you. Speaking of, said Hicks, I better go get a little mister. We'll be getting out of school. Olivia smiled as she looked up at him. Thanks, sweetie, she said. I'll see you tonight. He offered her a quick kiss. Leaving the room, he stopped beside me. You're straight to your point and don't upset her, he warned. The only reason I'm letting you in here is because Lydia trusts you. I just want a quick word, I assured. And just be careful. You finish before leaving Olivia and I alone in her office. It's not my intention to upset you, I began. I realise that I am putting us both at a lot of risk by being here, but I wouldn't if I didn't think it was important. Would you like some coffee? Olivia asked, pointing to the coffee maker in the corner. Uh, no thank you, I replied. I had been drinking so much coffee from the hotel that I was starting to feel a little jittery. So you spoke to Tabitha? It was the social worker that opened the dialogue. Uh, yes, I admitted. She only has warm regards for you. It was she who urged me to come speak to you. Olivia shook her head. What happened to that girl was... I wasn't sure if she meant the forced induction into a paedophile ring by her parents or the attempted rape by her ex-husband, so I tread carefully. When Dennis left with her, did you know where she had gone and why? Olivia's brow tightened. Her swimming eyes clouded. I went to the Knock Knock Club when it reopened. The dancer girl threatened me with a knife. She told me if I ever came back looking for Dennis or Tabitha, she would open my throat. Believe it or not, I think that was Tabitha's way of protecting you, I said. Olivia seemed to agree. She was a very troubled little girl. One of my biggest regrets in life was failing to help her. It was time, and I had to ask, do you know what Dennis tried to do to her? Olivia sighed. She was close to weeping, but she held back. I had my suspicions that something had happened between them. I guess that was confirmed when they left. Dennis was a prolific paedophile, I confirmed. I was conscious of my limited time, and as painful as it was for her, I had to break through the barriers quicker. I tried to rape her, and she enslaved him as a result. She took him away from you and Milo to protect you. Here Olivia did become emotional. Those girls, she cried. I wanted to help them, and instead I delivered them into the hands of a predator. I spoke softer. You weren't to know. Olivia would hear none of it. It was my job to protect those girls, and I failed them. I failed Tabitha, and I failed others. There was a girl in my care. Alana, her name was. She was a sweet girl from the shanties, just trying to improve her life. She was trying to leave drugs behind. She had been an addict since age 12. At first she got along with Dennis really well. I remember being so proud of how good he was with her. They became so close. They had their own inside jokes and little skits they played out. Alana was such a loving girl. Her circumstances hadn't broken her spirit, but one day it all changed. She was 15. She had been clean for a while. She even began a course at City College. She was doing so well, but something between her and Dennis changed. They were no longer close. When I asked Dennis about it, he told me that she'd come on to him strongly, mistaking his affection for lust. I tried to talk to Alana, but she became angry with me and violent. She had to be moved on. She had a history of that kind of behaviour. When I think of what could have happened to the girls in my care, girls even younger and more vulnerable, 
You mustn't blame yourself, I put in. Olivia disagreed. Why shouldn't I? I was supposed to be their protector. Where does the blame stop, if not with me? We can't change the past, but we can learn from it. We better equip ourselves to stop things like that happening again. The city needs people like you. People of compassion. It's not for the cold-hearted like Doyle or even lunatics like Tabitha to make changes. It's for people like us. Olivia gave it some thought. What is it you want to know? I'd like to know any details you have of own victims that came to you. Tabitha's lately going down for a long time, but we still find justice for the others. Will you support me? Olivia smiled. Of course. I wanted to end on a more positive note. The discussion would have given Olivia a lot to think about, leaving a sore taste in her mouth. As despicable a human being as Dennis was, there was something in his words that rung true. He loves his son. Olivia took a deep breath. Her eyes glanced towards the window, which gave view of the wider city. In the interest of telling the whole truth, I'd like to hear anything Tabitha told you about her parents. You can't write anything just now, Olivia reminded me. No, I agreed. But when the trial is over, there's nothing that will stop me. Olivia smiled warmly. Maybe you'll take that coffee now and then. Paddy Mac, head of the Mac clan since his father Brendan slipped into retirement. I'd heard from the CBD officer who brought him cigarettes that the lawmakers were campaigning for the death penalty for Tabitha. The officer watched for Paddy's reaction, but he said nothing. His expression remained vacant. The CBD officer assumed he was worried about his own dynasty. If the knock-knock club fell, the distillery wouldn't be far behind it. The close sign across the auction house was already sending chills resonating to the shanties. The Mac leader was in the perfect position for negotiations to begin. It was 4pm, Paddy guessed. His room in CBD holding was windowless, so it was hard to tell for certain. When the CBD officer stopped by, he began to make arrangements to call home. That's just for Mama, he told the officer. She'll be worried. I just want to let her know I'm still alive. The officer groaned. Fine, he agreed. As long as it's just your ma. The officer escorted him to the phones. He stood beside him the entire time. What's he doing, Frank? asked another officer, passing. Frank grinned, leaning on the wall beside Paddy. He's phoning his ma, he said, imitating the harsh Belfield accent Paddy had. They both chuckled. Paddy rolled his eyes and shook his head. I really need you two fuckers right now, he mumbled sarcastically. The phone rang a couple of times before Annie Mac answered. It's Paddy, ma, he said. Oh, sweet baby Jesus, are you okay? I'm grand, I just want to let you know I'm fine. Annie was close to tears. He could hear it in her voice. I'll be out soon enough, the son replied. Your father's just about going spare. He's been calling CPD and they won't entertain him. He gave Kieran a right hiding for letting you get lifted. It's all going to be sorted, ma. I just have to behave myself. Paddy injected some humour and confidence to help raise Annie Mac's spirits. CBD officer Frank pointed to his wrist. Listen, ma, I gotta go, but I'll be home soon. Paddy took note of the officer Frank's raised eyebrows, which suggested, not in this lifetime, boil. Annie sobbed. Are you sure you're all right? Paddy smiled. I told you I'm grand. Tell Dad to stop phoning or the fool for going to have his arse too. Frank glared at him. Paddy smiled and raised a finger. Annie giggled. He's not going to be happy until he's been wheeled in there beside you. Paddy was warmed at the image of his outspoken yet wheelchair-bound father being brought into CBD, still shouting the odds. You bunch of wankers, he'd be yelling. I'll take the fucking lot of you. 
After hanging up and being taken back to his holding cell, Frank made a phone call of his own. He wants back to his family, he said. The time is now. At five, Paddy's eyes rested on the doorway where a shadowed figure of the lawmaker Blazer loomed. Good afternoon, Mr. Mack, a cold, emotionless voice said. I've already told you, Lon, I've got nothing to say, Paddy returned. The figure was unmoved. Then allow me to do the talking, he suggested. The Mack distillery is a big concern in Coldford. We would hate to see it shut down. You can't do that, Paddy retorted. The figure continued to observe him. I'm afraid we can. With criminal activity flowing through the knock-knock club and your brand being one of the biggest suppliers, we would have no choice but to shut the distillery down pending in further investigation. You'd put hundreds of people out of work, pleaded the Mac owner. The shadowed frame loomed a little closer. A cold breeze charged in from the corridor outside. The unemployment situation in the city isn't Judge Doyle's priority at the moment. As head of the Mac clan, it is really up to you to protect those people, and you can't do that in here. Paddy scoffed, this is where you fucking put me. Long arms spread from the figure across its chest. Doesn't have to be that way, he said. You'll not have to sacrifice your own future, or that of your own people. You do realise the club wouldn't offer you the same courtesy if it meant saving themselves. I'm in a bit of a hurry, I've got places to go. Can you get to your fucking point? Paddy said with a minimal amount of jest. A citation was laid on the floor at Paddy's feet. You are called to provide evidence against Tabitha and the Knock Knock Club. You want me to take the stand against her? It's been a long time coming, considering what would happen if the shoe were on the other foot. She'd never let the distillery fall, said Paddy, but he wasn't sounding as confident. Are you sure about that? She's already pointed fingers at your brother Kieran for violating licenses in the hope of some leniency. Paddy refused to believe that. He talked shite, he said. Seems you don't know your boss lady as well as you think you do. The South is in enough upheaval. The distillery is bigger than the Knock Club. If you cooperate, it can continue to produce the finest whiskey in the shady city. Testify against Tabitha and you can return home to your family. You can continue to run your distillery and we'll all raise a glass of Max in your honour. You'd let me go. The hook was set. There was a bite. For your sake and for the sake of your workers, it would be the best. Call it letting one fish go to make a bigger catch. You're not the one Judge Doyle wants at this point. Don't put yourself on the rack. Paddy read over the citation. Fine, he agreed. As the trial drew on, Judge Doyle sought to put the final nail in Tabitha's coffin. She opened her courtroom with the promise that the boss lady would be broken before her bench. Despite the overwhelming evidence against Tabitha and the strong likelihood that she would be behind bars for a long time, the judge was still not satisfied. She wanted to break Tabitha of the bond she had in the shanties. She wanted to show the people their queen was nothing more than a muttering sociopath who was leading them to lawlessness. She would start from the strongest top branches of Tabitha's alliances and work her way down. The auction house snapped. Next up, the long-spanning bond between the Mac Distillery and the Knock Knock Club. A photo of Agnes, Tony, Brendan and Annie hung in the balcony area of the club. That was a different generation, though. That was a long time ago. A lot had changed since those photos had been taken. A lot had transpired since the four smiled and the lens flashed. Tony and Agnes were not their niece. Brendan and Annie were not their son. 
As Paddy was led to the stand, he offered Tabitha no eye contact. Attendance. Judge Doyle presiding. City prosecutor. Counsel for the defendant, Ronald Owen. Defendant, Tabitha McKinney. Patrick Mack, witness. Clerk and bailiffs. City prosecutor. Your family brand has been suppliers to the Knock Club for a generation now. Patrick Mack. That's right. Agnes Wells struck the deal with the distillery when the club first opened. My dad was good friends with the Baroness. Tony, I mean. City prosecutor. That arrangement continued when the defendant took over? Patrick Mack. No reason that it wouldn't. City prosecutor. Having such a close relationship with the club and the defendant, I assume you saw a lot of the comings and goings. Patrick Mack. I saw everything. The city prosecutor couldn't help but grin. Never before had he had such a dish served up on a case. He could taste the verdict, and it was sweet on his tongue. City prosecutor. Could you detail for the jury exactly what you saw? Paddy did look over to Tabitha. She maintained his gaze, but her expression was difficult to read. Patrick Mack. I saw your lot ruin good people, and Tabitha was the only one to pick up the pieces. The city prosecutor turned. He was frowning severely. This was not the statement they had prepared. City prosecutor. Hey, Mr. Mack, are you making a mockery of this court? Patrick Mack. No. What is fucking funny is you think I'll sit here and tell you that Tabitha had no reasoning behind what she did. She's a fucking animal, yes, but you need an animal to fight against cunts like you. City prosecutor. Enough. Judge Doyle slammed her gavel. Judge Doyle, if you do not take this seriously, I will hold you in contempt. Patrick Mack. Then hold me in fucking contempt. I swore to tell the truth, the whole truth. And the truth is, you're all cunts, especially you. Paddy leaned forward and dared to address the judge directly. Patrick Mack. I saw Tabitha open up the club to homeless, stop a deal that would see countless others on the street and protect those who needed it, which is more than you fuckers ever did. The gavel was slammed again. Judge Doyle, hold him in contempt. The bailiffs escorted Paddy from the stand. He tipped Tabitha a wink as he passed her. Her lips formed a smile. Breaking the Mac bond with the knock-knock club was going to be harder than Judge Karen Doyle thought. End of episode.